Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. And you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. And we're live streaming now. And so if you go to that website, you can click on a button. You can listen to us uh, Anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Folks, uh, we're very lucky to have uh, uh, Kate Fossil here with us today. Kate Fossil is a professor of women's uh, gender and sexuality studies at the University of Louisville. She's also the founding director of the Anne Brain Institute for Social Justice Research, recently retired from that position. And and she's also the author of uh, Subversive Southerner, which uh, is... uh, uh, a uh, biography of uh, uh, Anne Braden, one of the noted white anti-racists in the country's history. So, welcome, Kate. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So, uh, folks, what we're going to talk about today is to try to uh, uh, analyze uh, why white women voted for Donald Trump uh, uh, not once but twice. Uh, so exit polls, uh, the original exit polls from the 2020 election showed that 52% of white women voted for Trump. And then at the time, the CES study, co- cooperative election studies, kind of uh, knocked it down to 46%. And then I think most studies sort of uh, settled around 47 maybe. So uh, 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 white women make up 40% of voters, white men 36%. Uh, just a historical note, uh, white men voted for JFK by one point, and white women voted for Nixon. So the the, the trend, Kate, is, uh, well, it's not even a trend. It's almost a constant. So, uh, so I mean, I'll start off the conversation, Kate, by saying I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm not a white woman, but I'm guessing that uh, uh, white women voted for Trump for the same reason that white men voted for Trump. They like him. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's uh, what I would start off the com- com- conversation. I think uh, white men like Trump. Uh, they want to be Trump. Uh, that is, they see Trump, uh, you know, on the campaign with the airliner as a uh, private jet. And they admire that in a big building with his name on it. And uh you know, uh, he's married to a, you know, a model and uh, uh, has affairs with porn stars and uh, Playboy Playmates. And they see that as a model of uh, masculinity. So uh, uh, they vote for him because they like him. I don't think that white people in general hold their nose and vote for Trump. I think that's been a, a misnomer from the beginning. I think they vote for him because they like him. Uh so, Kate, uh, what's what's your opinion on the uh, this subject? Well, Kate, I um, I want to first put out the disclaimer that I'm a historian of social movements, uh, especially like liberal and left wing social movements in U.S. history. So, I'm not a political scientist. My field is not like 
women in American politics. So I'm speaking as like a, you know, informed observer, but not as any kind of expert in this particular field. So let me just put out that disclaimer first. And of course, this whole interview derives from a very, you know, uh, interesting, like just you know, personal conversation you and I were having about it, and we just were, you know, enjoying that and thought we would talk more, but uh, I would disagree with you a little bit about, like, how much uh, white women, white people, white Trump, I think, obviously, there's a huge, uh, a very visible, very vocal minority that not just like him, but really, like, love, almost worship him, want to be him, or be in his company, as you suggest. I do think, however, there are a lot of people that um, really helped get him elected the first time, and then maybe some of them helped lead to his defeat the second time that did hold their nose and vote. I think, like, because he was a, an avatar for certain positions that they hold dear enough to vote for, no matter what the cost. But they could see that he was not like the kind of outstanding citizen that they might wish were the representative of those values. So I think they're like both are true. There are many uh, people that did really develop a, a real passion for Donald Trump. And there's another very sizable minority who um, who had to hold their nose to vote for him. So that's just my opinion. And so a lot of people thought in the first campaign when it was revealed that there were sort of 20 allegations, over 20 allegations of sexual assault uh, of some sort against Trump and then the 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 the, the audio tape, videotape, uh, uh, Access Hollywood, I, I believe, uh, talking about uh, uh, grabbing uh, something or other, and uh, uh, that that would be the deal breaker. And uh, I'm surmising that Trump is sort of symbolic to a lot of people of aggressive male heterosexuality. And in other words, not only is he a, an aggressive heterosexual male, uh, but he's not gay. And so the, the, uh, the, the affairs with the porn stars and Playboy Playmates, uh, this and the, the allegations of just proof of his not gay heterosexuality. In other words, like hypersexuality, I would say. Yes, uh, not uh, signs of not gayness. And so, uh, and so, I think that not only do were white women not uh, put off by it, but uh, uh, they would date him and they would let their daughters date him. So, uh, so, and just as a note, <clears throat> that is when uh, uh, Trump uh, uh, used the big jet, the airliner with his name on it. Uh, on the campaign trail, the same exact same jet that, of course, uh, that the president uses as Air Force One. Uh, uh, Trump was not the first celebrity to use an airliner as a private jet. The first celebrity that I recall, and this is making myself look old, uh, using an airliner as a private jet was uh, Hugh Hefner of Playboy magazine fame. He did it first. 
he did it. So, uh, uh, you know, with, with the bunny head painted on the jet. So uh, he was the first. So uh, uh, that is in a dearth of male role models, valid real mo- role models, Trump is presenting one uh, for those who don't have one. And, uh, and, and I think people are s- simply uh, underestimating that. That is, people on the left side of the spectrum see Trump's behavior as a, a negative, but people on the right side, they admire it. Uh, well, again, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that I think that that's not the whole story. I mean, uh, I can't, although I am a white woman, I can't, I didn't vote for Trump, obviously, and I can't speak for white women, whether those who voted for Trump or, or those who didn't. But I do, unfortunately, have a lot of, um, you know, close family members who, or, you know, somewhat close family members who uh, did vote for Trump. And um, and I have them in both the camps you're describing, you know, it, like it, well, it, in the camp you're describing as well as the kind of like hold your nose and vote for Trump camp that I'm describing. But what I do think is that, you you know, you pointed out two things that I think are probably a really fruitful, you know, thing to talk about and one is just the fact that you know there's this like oh my god a majority of white women voted for Trump as if it's out of the norm but really a lot of white women historically have voted conservative so it it wasn't I mean it, it was most shocking in this case because of his very egregious uh you know sort of um you know, abusive, uh, you know, degradation of women that made it worse, but it wasn't out of the norm for white women to vote, for white people to vote uh, in that way. Um, And then the other thing, well, I guess the other thing that you're talking about that I think is is very important is this... uh, you know, everything that you're talking about with regard to, like, his hypersexuality, the use of the jet, you know, all of that uh, relates to media representations. And I think Trump was very successful uh, at, you know, manipulating the media, and that goes back to his, um, you know, TV show The Apprentice. I think celebrity culture has become... You know, that's part of what helped get Ronald Reagan or what got Ronald Reagan elected. And it's an increasingly uh, powerful um, determinant of outcomes in the United States today. So I think the point, and correct me if I'm wrong, the point that you're trying to make is that this wouldn't be as interesting a, a topic if white women hadn't voted for, say, Jeb Bush. But, exactly. I and, think that's exactly right. Uh, so but the fact that they voted for Trump with his, you know, uh, history makes right. it uh, sort of fodder for a lot of magazine articles and conversations uh, all across the country. When in reality, it's really part of a pattern. It's more outrageous looking because 
of Trump's highly publicized words and activities that are misogynistic, but it's not out of the norm of women's vote, white women's voting patterns. And that's what we've got to change, right? I mean, they're really, you know, I think that's, um, that's an interesting aspect. And here I'm really talking about white voters, not so much white women, is that some of the same people that were drawn to Bernie Sanders' message when Bernie Sanders didn't win the nomination first in 2016 and then again in 2020, then they voted for Trump. So there is a message of, um, I'm sorry, I've got a little noise on my end, a a message of, uh, you know, sort of economic empowerment for working people that motivated those voters uh, in a progressive direction. But it wasn't there, you know, it, it wasn't deep, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to, it wasn't a Democratic with a capital D message. It was Bernie's message. And so then without that message, they just, they might, you know, go back to the person that seemed to speak to, ironically and, and falsely and tragically enough, like poor and working people's interests, white working and poor people's interests, which was Donald Trump. Well, I think that's an important note that, in 2016, white people in, interviewed, in interviews actually said that they were either going to vote for uh, Sanders or Trump, but right. people like Chris Matthews on MSNBC didn't believe them. Right. Uh, uh, so they said it. They said they were even going to vote for Sanders or Trump because they had the populist message as you, uh, economic empowerment for working people, as you've described it. Uh, right. To go back to sort of my earlier point about people, um, you know, holding their nose and voting for Trump, is I just think there's a, there's, and this this relates to the the power of media as well, but particularly I think the power um, of like clear channel communications, um, increasing supremacy over rural radio in the '90s actually is the idea of um, of. Uh, some of these conservative voters, they're just going to vote anti-abortion no matter what. And they're going to vote anti-gay no matter what. And so that whether they really wanted Trump or not, they would vote for anybody that held those positions. So I think that's that's a, a, a set of messages that have been, you know, just drummed into especially rural people. And those are wedge issues, as you well know, but the power of wedge issues over, you know, the last 35 years is pretty striking. And so when Trump came down the escalator uh, at Trump Tower and made his announcement, he said that uh, Mexicans, well, they're rapists. Uh, some of them are good people. And, uh, and so let's take a look at that statement. Uh, that is, there is a Kentucky filmmaker by the name of D.W. Griffith who made a very famous movie called Birth of a Nation. And uh, Birth of a Nation, of course, you had the, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
big burly black men allegedly molesting the white women and the Klan had to save the white women from the big burly uh, black men. Well, D.W. Griffith also made his version of the Alamo. Now, for those of you who don't know, is a, the Alamo was a, a famous battle set when, uh, you know, the white people were stealing Texas from Mexico. And in the Alamo, of course, uh, famous white people got killed by the Mexican army. Uh, you know, like David, David Crockett and Jim Bowie. Uh, got killed by the Mexican army trying to keep the white people from stealing Texas. But anyway, uh, so the D.W. Griffith version of the Alamo, according to him, the reason they had the Battle of the Alamo is because the big burly Mexicans with mustaches and sombreros were trying to molest the white women. So, uh, uh, So Trump came down the tower when he, I mean, he came down the escalator, Trump Tower, and talked about Mexicans uh, uh, being rapists. That goes all the way back to uh, 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 D.W. Griffith's version of the Alamo. So uh, uh, he, he, you know, he hit, he pressed all the buttons uh, for uh, white people. And uh, essentially, uh, he ate the Republican Party, uh, and uh, it belongs to him now. So uh, the question is, uh, going on uh, in the future, uh, I see, uh, I look at Kentucky, uh, I see it's sort of a, a route to success is for for instance white female politicians to become somewhat of a flamethrower I see that even in Kentucky uh, uh, people sort of auditioning for Fox News and going back to even especially in Kentucky KA being such a white state frankly as it is and so a lot of their rhetoric is almost as if they're aiming to, to get the guest spot on Fox News. And, and it's just, if you look at Sarah Palin, uh, she was sort of almost a mild precursor yeah. to what is going on today. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I would agree with you there. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see uh, what becomes of Nikki Haley in all this. And, uh, of course, Sarah Palin's quite popular, still does the occasional guest spot on Fox News. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that uh, 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 that Sarah Palin is, uh, well, you know, crazy enough uh, for today's world. Uh, uh, so uh, she's not extreme enough. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her. I mean, she had amazing success. Uh, uh, the mayor of Wasilla one-term governor and then went on to millionaire status as a author and, uh, you know, right-wing celebrity. So people are looking at routes to victory and, uh, you know, white women can become, you know, successful polemicists, authors, speakers uh, by becoming sort of right-wing flamethrowers. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a route to success uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, sort of the Sarah Palin role model, uh, as a Sarah Palin, you know, doesn't know a whole lot about much. And, uh, and Sarah, it's really a frightening 
figure in American politics. Marjorie Taylor Greene, yes, uh, comes from a part of the country, it's the same part of the country I come from. So I'm sadly familiar. And I think that, uh, you know, again, it's that blend of like the true believers who are openly racist, you know, gun-toting, you know, homophobic, misogynistic, uh, or at least believe that, you know, the place for women is in the home, you know, in the kitchen, whatever. Uh, that those, those really rabidly conservative voters, and then that, you know, that sort of, you know, what Nixon called the silent majority, but they're, you know, they'll they'll look the other way, even in a, an incredible figure like Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, my own mother lives right just south of Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, and she seems really appalled at Marjorie Taylor Greene, but I'm not convinced she wouldn't vote for her, you know, when, when it comes to, um, you know, voting for a Democrat instead, I'm just not sure. And again, I think that we on the left have really got to be careful about uh, crafting messages. And, you know, it's really hard to break through the the myths, excuse me, um, that are dominating, you know, American politics, you know, through many, many people's sort of mainstream media lens. I mean, by mainstream, I would include Fox in that. It's just at the right end of the mainstream. So you look at, say, compare... So you compare somebody like Sarah Palin, who, for instance, the admirable thing about Sarah Palin is that she went to six colleges to get her bachelor's degree. So... Uh, that's admirable. That shows so plucky, stick it to it, you know. I like that. And well, so, as a college professor, I, I can say there, is, there are other readings of that you could give. Right, but that's Speaking plucky. That, if, if I might just interrupt to add that, you know, that is a very big predictor of how people will vote, too, is education. Uh, Within you know, within white people, that is a big predictor of how people will vote. And I think that you know our educational system has just not done a good job of um, you know certainly in K through twelve education of letting people know the truth about the United States or U.S. history. I mean the the, the whole the the, the the uproar over critical race theory right now. And it's, you know, that uproar is fomented by the same people that have been fomenting many of these currents you've been mentioning here today is, is a perfect example. It's like, let's don't tell what happened. It's too dangerous. But so you go back a few years and you look at somebody like Sarah Palin, who's just an ambitious person, went to six colleges to get her bachelor's degree, the mayor of Wasilla, and, you know, there's less... Uh, uh, you know, there's almost less people in the state of Alaska than there is in sort of uh, uh, Jefferson County or, you know, but uh, but uh, right. not a whole lot of people in Alaska. But uh, uh, so and, and then she becomes governor of, of Alaska by pushing a brand of conservative servitism that's relatively mild by today's standards. And then you have today white women 
sort of skipping all of that. That is, Sarah Palin, you know, said that, you know, she felt that the reason she didn't have to actually study economics or anything like that or policy is because, quote unquote, people weren't interested in that. And she proved she could get elected. And so but you have somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's who's starting out her career, not even trying to learn anything about policy or uh, economics, but. I'll just start off with the craziest QAnon, kookism, and win. So uh, that's how much politics have changed in between when Sarah Palin was doing it and and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, And so, you know, uh, and uh, and so uh, the lady who took Liz Cheney's spot in Republican leadership started off sort of normal and I can't, her name is not coming to me uh, but you know Liz Cheney lost her re- leadership position in the in the Republican Party and because she just wasn't all in for Trump and really didn't like what happened on January 6th right uh, well, okay uh, if I could just add something because as I mentioned I've, I've really gotten another appointment and I've got to run but I do think that this is an important conversation whether it's uh, you know However, like much continuity there is in white women voting against their own interests and against uh, their own interests as women and broader economic interests, never mind them seeing their common humanity with uh, black people and other people of color. I mean, this is a major, major issue that we've got to organize around, and I know you're part of that organizing. So in saying that there's continuity to it, in saying that, you know, not everyone is the rabid type of pro-Trumpster, even when they voted for Trump, I just don't want to leave you with the impression that I think this is not a compelling problem that we've got to get on top of if we are ever going to have have the more humanitarian, uh, truly democratic nation that, you know, many, many um, peace and justice leaders have fought and died for. So I just want to end with that. But I thank you so much for having me. I'm going to have to run. Oh, thank you so much, folks. Uh, We've been talking to Kate Fossil, uh, a professor of women's gender and sexuality studies at the University of Louisville and the founding director of the Ann Braden Institute for Social Justice Research, from which she has just recently retired. So thank you so much, Kate. were just listening to an interview that we did with uh, Kate Fossil uh, from the University of Louisville. And what, what we were talking about is uh, why uh, white women voted for Trump. And that's just an example of the many uh, topics and interesting guests that we have on this show, On the Edge with K.A. Owens. And 
And you can listen to these uh, shows on our SoundCloud account. Just go to forwardradio.org and you can find our SoundCloud account. And uh, this show uh, plays on Friday at 5.30 p.m., Saturday at 2.30 p.m., Sunday at 12 noon, and Monday at 7 a.m. at 106.5 FM Forward Radio. That's WFMP-LP Louisville. And if you go to that website, uh, uh, forwardradio.org, forwardradio.org, you'll have a chance to see uh, a schedule of all of our shows um, and listen to the live stream and find out where the shows are archived. So again, you're listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we will be back next week.